This is the Ad Nontech Podcast, conversations about education, technology, and culture, with Dr. Doug Reed and Dr. Matt Stranick. Thank you for joining us. My name is Dr. Doug Reed, and I am located on Abigway, the traditional and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. My name is Dr. Matthew Stranick, and I am located in Manaquisk in St. John, New Brunswick, which is situated on the traditional and unceded territory of the Wulistukyuk Maliseet people. Everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Ed Nontech Podcast. Um, not that it's Saturday morning where you are, I'm willing to guess, but here in the best coast, which is to say the East Coast, um, Atlanta, Canada, FYI, uh, we are on Saturday morning time. And uh, I just wanted to uh, say, Hey to everybody that's listening. Hey to everybody that's checking this out. And uh, hey to Dr. Doug Reed. How are you doing, Doug? I'm good. I'm good. It's raining where I am right now. So the best coast is ice rain. But other than that, things are wonderful here. How about the you? best coast? The best coast being the wet coast, I think, because it was uh, just it was it, it, I, I forget because Kamloops, as you recall, is just like super, super dry. Right. Like. Oh, semi-desert, yeah. right? And I mean, you weren't in Kamloops for as long as I was. I was there for basically five years. Um, but uh, past couple of days in St. John, we've had the days where it just like rains all day, but not... Okay, well, I'll tell you what, um, what I've been doing with this, um, when this, when this happens, uh, is, uh, I've been sort of putting in these little interstitial parts into the video, right? I've been putting in, I don't know if you've noticed, but, uh, Buster Keaton is like the official mascot (laughs) of our, uh, of our podcast lately. Um, I think he kind of, uh, embodies everything that we might aspire to with this show, quite (laughs) frankly. Um, but, uh, close to his level of notoriety, that'd be wonderful notoriety and just being like perfect at what you do, you know, in, in those moments, those silent film era moments. Um, gosh, we're talking about the weather. We're talking about uh, Buster Keaton. Why don't you tell us what we're uh, talking about on this particular episode, Doug? 
uh, I would like to talk about reinforcement, not replacement. Fantastic. And what led you to that? I was reading an article and I realized how often people say, oh, we don't need to do X, Y, or Z. The, the machine will do that or the computer will do that. It's back in the day. I don't know if you're old enough to remember as the internet got started and everybody thought, oh, no, uh, librarians won't have jobs because the internet <laughs> will do what librarians do. And it definitely changed librarians' jobs, but librarian skills were so vitally important. It was the skills. It wasn't just the knowledge. It was how to find it and how to organize it and all that. I, 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 I would like to just barge in on your uh, setup here, which is awesome. I would like to say that uh, shout out to John Bowie, uh, best friend of mine since I was like five years old. We met at my five, my, my fifth birthday. My, her, my, our, our parents, you know, brought him over to our house. And he is, he's made a career, like since he was in university, of working in libraries. And he works now for the New Brunswick Provincial Archives. He has a master's in library science. So um, I definitely, I mean, I wasn't of the era when like, oh no, librarians will be displaced. But um, I definitely can vouch for the fact that, uh, you know, uh, rumors of the death of librarianship are greatly overrated, to uh, paraphrase somebody. Um, so yeah, man. Um, and so you read that article and, um, was there like any personal impetus behind this particular one besides that article or? It, it was struggling with the whole concept of we're the Ed non-tech podcast, it, but the, the tech's there. Right? It, Very it's much one so. of those things we have to deal with. And I, I just remember, oh, well, we can get rid of teachers. And there's a history of we can get rid of teachers. It was radio will replace teachers. TV will replace teachers. Computers will replace teachers. The Internet. Somehow teachers still have jobs. AI. AI is the next one that will replace, replace teachers. teachers. Like, oh, yeah. no. Like, um, shout out to Ian Linkletter. Um, I don't know if you remember Ian from uh, BC, from your time in B.C., um, he got caught up in a very, very nasty, frivolous lawsuit by some tech company who objected to him putting, like, a link to one of their promotional videos on his Twitter handle. And, like, it was serious. Like, they were maliciously going after this educational technologist. I think he was at UBC at the time. Sorry, Ian, if you're listening, if I got that wrong. But, um, I mean... He has now, in his new role, I mean, I, I, I can tell for sure, I can tell you for sure where he works now, which is at BCIT in some capacity, and he has put together just over the past week a LibGuide. You aware of LibGuides, Doug? The uh, sort of library, sort of curated sets of resources on certain topics. He's put one together, um, you know, for his institution ostensibly, but anybody can use it, dealing with teaching and AI. He put it out on his Blue Sky app, and I'm like, I'm going to take this and put it out as wide as I can. Um, a former colleague of mine, Rob Power on LinkedIn, Dr. Rob Power um, at uh, Cape Breton University. Sorry if I got the name of the institution wrong. Um, he, like, as soon as I posted Ian's thing about the LibGuide with AI, 
he immediately what retweeted it or whatever you do reposted it on um his uh, LinkedIn. And according to LinkedIn's creepy analytics due to that, because he's a professor of education, you know, um, and uh, he focuses on technology. And uh, now like something like the last time I looked at it, um, there's something like 450 impressions, which means it showed up in like 450 people's feed just because I friggin' pitched it onto LinkedIn and Rob kind of, you know, boosted it into his network. So um, again, I think librarianship is one of those things that's just going to be with us down the stretch. Teaching is one of those things that's going to be with us down the stretch. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we lean into the uh, ed tech and we lean into the ed non tech uh, as, as required. Right. Um, sorry to kind of uh, wind up no. your thing with a bit of a rant there, pal. No, are you going to include that link in the show notes? Um, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'll uh, I'll put that in. Yeah, it's uh, buried kind of <laughs> towards the top of my emails to self, which uh, you know I'll I'll throw that in for sure. Awesome, thank um, you. Yeah, man. So why don't you start taking us through some of the resources that you found and curated for us here? Sure. Um, in 2003, at Jocoso, I apologize if I um, mispronounced that. Noble effort. Evaluating technology and instruction. So 2003, 20-some years ago, this is basically computer technology and Internet technology is what they're talking about. But there's, they, they describe a definite need to have a stronger research focus on the interaction between technology, pedagogy, curriculum, and student learning. And more than 20 years ago, we're saying it, and honestly, has it happened? That's That's a question for you. You... You've been involved with some COIs, so I know that that it's there and we're trying to, but have we ever, has anybody dug deep and actually published the results of that? Or is it all just kind of folklore and hearsay and as educators move forward? Well, I, I think um, to speak to your point, and thanks for the opportunity to uh, shout out uh, COI, I'll... Uh, give a strong uh, recommendation to if anybody is interested in contemporary uh, sort of COI, because I mean, as long as Athabasca is around and people associated with Athabasca University are, are publishing, there's, I think, going to be a home for community of inquiry research. Um, and I mean, you're talking about the last 20 years. Um, I've had a career so far as an educator um, you know, about 18 at this point, since I started teaching in South Korea. Um, and what I would say is, like, among the cohort of people who actually have degrees and qualifications in edu education, you know, you're, you're getting inculcated, inculcated um, with uh, these kinds of frameworks and uh, uh, approaches to thoughtful teaching with technology vis-a-vis -vis pedagogy. I mean, I, you know, any, 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 any education program in Canada worth its beans, <laughs> worth its salt, um, is going to be putting an effort into that. So whether or not people are like practicing that in the classroom as teachers or, you know, administrators or whatnot, um, that is to be determined. Um, I have definitely worked in situations where for some reason, people who had no pedagogical training were like in charge of like something called 
open or distance learning on a mass scale. And I'm like, you're putting in people with English degrees. You're putting in people like with just like no training in any of this stuff. And I just can't help think like you could hire somebody with the education degree for the thing, but you're not because why? I just, I, I don't really, that's, that's an inconsistency. And I'm just speaking, of course, hypothetically, um, but uh, I think probably it speaks to a larger tendency where people without, you know, education programs and training are just kind of like, well, whatever I teach is the thing today. So whatever I say it is, it is. And not to diminish that particularly, but um, I don't know. Uh, to answer your question, no. <laughs> How about that? No. <laughs> it, it's so nice that you went off on the tangent you went off on. Sorry, dude. Because that has been a pet peeve of mine. Not the tangent thing, the, the content. <laughs> I, I struggle with people in faculties of education that have never been teachers. They get their BED, they get their MED, they get their PhD, whatever, whatever piece of paper they get, and then they get hired in the faculty, and they're trying to train educational researchers. They're not trying to train teachers. Exactly so. And I've, I had a, an interaction with somebody who kind of looked her nose down on it and said, I don't deal with technicians. I'm training the future researchers. And I, all I wanted to, oh, the list of things going through my head that were not pleasant. Were but like you are a trained meditation teacher. So you took your yeah. inward breath, you uh, adjusted your chakras or whatnot, and? Oh, yeah, that didn't happen for like 11 hours. <laughs> I, I, Steve. The immediate I thought like, is not I, always your best thought. Even, uh, you know, even Marcus Aurelius was quick to say that. He's like, it's normal to get emotionally fucked up, I can say, over a situation. But once you sort of clear your, you know, mind's initial, you know, fight or, fight or flight kind of response, you step back from it, you recognize it for what it is, and you go, okay, this has no bearing on me as a person whatsoever. But you can definitely challenge that attitude. I train for, I, I train the future educational researchers like to do what exactly besides, you know, just producing, you know, multi-name peer-reviewed journals like uh, articles. Whew. The tangents are just coming on strong here, pal. I think it's a function well, of Saturday morning. Yeah, I think so, too. But I'm, I'm a little spoiled, right? They, they're, they're talking about the interaction with technology, pedagogic curriculum, student learning. And I'm looking for that one person that has wrapped it all together. I'm looking for the Rogers diffusion of innovation. I'm looking for Bloom's taxonomy. I'm looking at Vygotsky's own approximate development. I'm looking, I want that person to show up and say, bang, here it is. And grapple with that. And that deeper level of theory, there's people picking away at it and good for them. They're coming up with some great stuff. And we've talked about a lot of that great stuff. Totally. But where's the big picture? Where's that? What, what What's the one in physics that Einstein couldn't, general relativity, they couldn't come together with the theory of everything. 
There's, there's no grand unified theory of right. uh, education which applies particularly to the uh, problematic tech sphere. Although I will say, I think, Doug, what we're really grappling with here before we get on to the next uh, reference, <laughs> I really like this sort of uh, little uh, this little examination we're doing. Um, but I guess I would just say that uh, community of inquiry uh, framework has done a really good job of uh, sort of showing praxis, right? Praxis, where the sort of link is between research and knowledge of, of teaching and linking that in actionable, tangible ways to teaching strategies. So anything that you can sort of follow through from the, you know, uh, conceptual level, very high conceptual level, such as the much beloved Venn diagram of the COI framework, <laughs> all the way down to literally an individual, you know, message in an online asynchronous forum or a single interaction between students in a blended environment. I mean, you can trace it every step of the way and it's not difficult to do because, you know, even people without pedagogical training, you know, people at my place of, uh, well, I mean, I've never talked to people at my job about COI, but I know that they watch the podcast. So um, they heard about it by now, I think. <laughs> um, but uh, still, you know, it's kind of, it's just, uh, it's one of those, right? So um, the, the, the ability to do this stuff is there, um, but uh, the follow through isn't always supported by educators or necessarily by uh, administrators. Um, you know, again, uh, a former institution where I used to work, anytime I'd mention this stuff, they're just like, just kind of look at me like, you mean you can't just put it in a tweet? Like you can't just sort of plug it into a tweet and like get a bunch of likes and get it re-upped? Like, no, nah, it's a little bit more nuanced than 140 characters or whatever, dude. Sorry. I mean, if you're not willing to look at something that doesn't fit into a tweet, then I mean, okay, good luck running your province-wide friggin' educational enterprise through distance learning. Goodness me, is it Saturday? Is there anything else you wanted to speak to this, bud, on this particular thing, or do you want to go to uh, the next resource, dude, Fawcett and Juliana? Uh, I would love to talk about one more thing. The, Please do. I was talking with a sociologist 20, 25 years ago, and he was giving me the gears. He was saying things like, oh, you educators, you never go deep. Because we were talking about like uh, social constructivism and how people learn by talking to others and, and right. creating your own learning. And he's like, and then you sit back. He said, you educators sit back and you're all proud of yourself for you came up with it. He goes, sociologists, that's where we start. And then we go deep. We, we don't stop at the obvious thing. We go deep and dig into that. And that's the difference with these two disciplines. And at the time, I was a little annoyed because he was arrogant, but I uh, can't disagree with it. <laughs> and so the that's what I was really like. Even if you don't necessarily appreciate how it was made. I gotcha. Yeah. 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 The, the message is okay. It was how the message was delivered that I didn't care for a whole lot. A mess of a message. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Dang. Well, I appreciate that, pal. And again, I it's again, it's it's one of those things where um for, for so first of all, like the ed tech realm is like double damned 
in a certain sense because that notion of like education as a field is like well it's a soft discipline it's you know it's like it's got porous boundaries which you've talked about before on this show for sure yep. can't disagree sorry we've done a piss poor job of you know coming up with an appropriate literature in education generally um, I guess with the exception of maybe John Dewey or something like that, Piaget, you know, um, I guess, uh, we'll get to who else gets a pass. Um, pedagogy of the oppressed for year, he gets a pass, but I mean, apart from that, people kind of look at it just kind of like, well, you're just making it up out of classroom studies. But then even within the sphere of education, you, as we've already just discussed on this very show in the past 10 minutes or so. You get like people who are in the field of education, people who really ought to know better. And they're just looking at the tech stuff like just you're just making it up. You know, it's just like you're just taking the tool and you're sort of gloaming something onto it, you know, based around the tool. And I'm like, well, if that's the world you want to live in, then if it's easier to simplify things that you don't do and reduce. Architecture, I mean, I do that, too, but it's just it's, it's kind of a shame if that's your how limited your viewpoint on the thing is, there's just there's really nowhere to go from there. So, with with apologies to your former colleague, I got to say. Oh no, you don't have to apologize for him. Okay. <laughs> so, Frost and Juliana do teaching in the digital age, teaching as you were taught. I really um, have to commend you for that selection, based strictly on what I'm reading in the bibliographic reference, uh, reference dude. Yeah, that's teaching as you were taught. And that is horrific. It was, I I hate that. Well, that's how I learned. I don't care. I don't care that's how you learn. That's like talking to somebody that won the lottery and then saying, the way you get rich is spend all your money on lottery tickets. No. It's my retirement not. plan. Uh, all yeah. my RRSP, I'm going to cash out all my RRSPs and buy lottery tickets and then I'll get the big payout. And then won't those people who thought I was problematic be, you know, won't, won't that teach them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've we've learned since then. Like, it's, it's one of those things where, remember the old days? Maybe you don't. Like, again, we're, we're a slightly different age. By slightly oh, no, man. I grew up in the 80s. Different. It was pretty analog in the 80s, I got to say, for my K-12 time, a lot of it. But do you remember how you taught a child to swim, right? It, I remember teaching my pool? kids to swim um, in a pool, in a gorgeous swimming pool, in a gorgeous compound in Qatar. Both of my kids learned to swim like before they were toddlers because you could access the compound swimming pool pretty much year round. I mean, you don't want to go in maybe January, February because of the dust because it's kind of gross, but um, <laughs> shout out to Qatar. Shout out to my time and former colleagues at CNAQ and the compound. Al Jazeera one rules. Anyway, dude, sorry. Yeah, it's the in the old days, I just have, oh, you want to teach your kid how to swim? Throw them in the pool. Throw them in the pond. Throw them off the wharf. They'll they'll float. They'll learn. And it's like. They'll float. We all float down here from it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But it, it's that mentality that I see. I have. I talked about it before. There was a mathematics prof that refused to change her, her pedagogy. 
it was, I have the bench out there for the students to cry. When they come to my office and they're, they want extra help, they sit there and cry until they learn that they have to go and figure it out for themselves because that's how math is taught. The like, crying bench. I wish they had one of those at TRU in the open learning department, man. I could have used it. The crying bench. Oh, there, man. There was a number of people that, that could have used that there. but Yes. But the, the so, whole concept so of... That, sorry, go ahead. Ineffective practice. You're, you're saying that's an ineffective practice, the crying bench, are you? Yeah, why would... There's two types of people. In my world, there's two types of people. People that went through something and said, I went through it, so everybody should have to. And then there's the type that said, I went through it, so nobody else should have to. I'll figure out another way. I'll figure out a better way. And I'm that one. I'm the second one where it's like, I think we're we're both that one, dude. I think we are both that one because I, as I talked about, I was such a just degenerate, maladjusted, insecure you know, kid in high school, particularly where I was just self-destructive and was not, you know, I barely got out of school. High school with 6% overall GPA average, 51% in math, because like the teacher, the math teacher was married to the English teacher and the English teacher really liked me. Um, so, and the math teacher just, you know, thought I was like, uh, you know, a piece of block in his classroom who sometimes showed up. Um, and But it was enough to scrape into my local institution, St. Thomas University, for the win. And uh, if it weren't for that, I mean, I'd just be in totally, completely different life circumstances. Um, but I came out of that. Nobody expected me to be an educator. I mean, nobody. My grandparents, you know, God bless them, my, my Irish, my, my, my recently deceased Irish grandmother, I remember telling me, she was like, we just never thought of you as being scholarly or interested in school. And now you're doing a doctoral program, Matthew. Oh, God bless me. God bless you, Nunny. God bless you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just you come out of it and you just got like, I am going to burn the world down or I'm going to build something better. Um, and somehow I ended up trying to build something better, uh, arguably with very limited success. But and I and I think you're that same way. And I think this whole podcast kind of comes out of that impetus, yeah. bud. So again, sorry to horn in with another uh, nope. personal friggin' tirade, but uh, it's just uh, what you spoke to there really uh, resonated with me. Yes, and I I believe the vast majority of educators I've taught with try to make things better i know there are some people that are there for the paycheck clock in clock out yeah i know there's a few of those because i've met a few but the vast majority how do we make things better part of making things better with technology is thinking about it it's how am i going to do this to help the students some more so the whole this is how i was taught well I, i don't care how you were taught how do you Take that experience and move forward. I don't care how you were taught. I want that on a T-shirt. That might be the phrase <laughs> of the podcast, dude. I'm just going to nominate that if you want to. Yeah. I mean, okay. That's that's good. <laughs> yeah. My name is Matt, and I don't care how you were taught. <laughs> His name is Doug, and he doesn't care how you were taught.
we don't care how you were taught. And if we take a look at the concept of reinforcement, not replacement, in, yes. in the title, the the replacement is in the 1970s, the way society went, women had to start working out of the house because of the way economics went and you need money to survive and all that. And a lot of times TV became the babysitter. The kids would go, go sit in front of the TV. I was babysat by the TV. I grew up in the eighties. And I've seen children that, that I've either taught or friends of mine that were given devices, given screen time. It was, Here's the iPad, go play. Here's the iPhone, go play. And it's the As same As a parent, concept. I am guilty of this. Sorry, boys. Sorry, Ethan and Kai. Um, you're doing okay. Love you, kids. But I did that to them slash you. <laughs> And as, as you look back on that practice, that was replacement. Yes. And I'm, sh- I'm sure there were times when you were just exhausted and it just had to happen. And I get it. <laughs> Two but, jobs, doctoral study. Here's the app. Here's the tablet. Yep. Enjoy it, kids. We're in the same room. Quality time, right? <laughs> that's it. Hey, we're in the same room. So... That's right. What you're getting. Right. Look up from your screen. Make eye contact with each other sometime. That shit is real, man. That shit is real. So, um, speaking of teaching as you were taught, because honestly, dude, I think we could actually do a whole episode on just that particular thing. Um, so, from the producer to the director, you know, just putting it in your uh, director hat. Um, uh, but, uh, do, do, do you suppose that there's a significant linkage there to be had with the uh, Pelican walls from 2009 with technology on the way that students learn? Yeah. What I really loved about, about this teachers beliefs and technology practices we've in previous episodes, we've talked about how if teachers aren't on board or teachers aren't sold on the thing, it's not happening. It doesn't matter what supports, what structures, what money, what anything. If the teachers aren't on board, it is not happening in their profession. Got to have buy-in. Yes, buy-in from the troops. Yes. And this article from 2009, uh, they they talked to a bunch of teachers, and this research showed the teachers, here's the difference that happens if you use the technology. Here's the impact. And that was the buy-in part for them. There was the uh, the resistance at first because, of course, as with Roger's diffusion of innovation, I love that one. I realized it's a good it's one. About, it's a really good one. I remember that from my doctoral studies, and I remember thinking, okay, I got to keep this sort of close by because it helps describe some phenomena pretty pretty easily. It's right up there with the Pareto principle. If you want to, you know, follow yeah. along on a similar track, yeah, that's. So they describe the impact that the technology had on the student learning and the educators were like, holy moly. Okay. And you need that holy moly. Okay. Now we got to change. Teachers by definition are overworked as hell. And it's literally like, I mean, I went out on a a date with an educator this past week, you know, it remains to be seen if a second date is happening, but uh, you know, 
school teacher. And I mean, some people, they come home and they're just completely flattened by what the, the, the work requires of them. Right. And then people go like, you know, and they get summers off. Like, it's just they there's so much off. unpaid work and so much emotional labor that goes into that. But then, you know, like this um, really awesome woman I hung out with uh, a few nights ago, um, she, on the other hand, is one of these people who, like, they thrive on it. They thrive on the energy. And then, I mean, this woman goes and plays sports, you know, three times a week and takes her kids to sports, you know, each of them a couple times a week. And, 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 you know, rich social life, reads books. And just so, I mean, it's it's sort of like, if you show somebody that something's going to be immediately beneficial to what they're doing, it immediately cuts through the noise. So we need, I think, within education generally to do a better job of sort of cutting through the noise and going, you know, what's that, what's that, what's that commercial? You know, uh, where's the beef? Um, it's, <laughs> yeah. Where's the beef? Where's the teaching strategy that I can use in the moment? Right. Another tirade. That's what I'm here for, dude. No, that's that's quite all right. Part of part of the reinforcement, not replacement, is when I learned how to. I bought a boat years ago, and I learned how to back my vehicle up and my boat up into a parking spot because apparently you can't just drive in and dump it in the middle of a parking lot, right? It needs to go into a. Man, as somebody who doesn't know how to drive or as somebody who doesn't know how to pilot watercraft, what you're describing to me sounds incredibly challenging. It, I read the uh, some stuff. Here's how you do it. I looked online. Here's how you do it. Here's some example videos. And I was not confident at all, but I gave it a go because I just bought the boat, right? I had to. No, nothing like the the water somehow. Yeah. Well, the problem was getting it in the water because the boat ramp was only so big. So how do I back this damn thing up and keep it straight? This is, this, this is since the- you moved to PEI, right? You didn't do the, this, or was this like years ago? That was Alberta. That was oh. years ago in Alberta. I was going to say, what can you do with a boat in Alberta? But there's lots of lakes in Alberta, right? So Lake Wobbeman is there. That's where I sailed for more than a decade. I sail at the Edmonton Yacht Club. It's awesome. You belong to a yacht club, did you? you did you have a yacht club membership? Yes, but okay. was it fancy? Did they like serve caviar like at the yacht club? Did you the way I course des- nearby? Like <laughs> the way I describe it is imagine trailer park with boats. Ah <laughs> that's okay. that's what it was. It's, it's over 100 years old. It's 101 years old, so it's been around for a long time. Fantastic. So when I was trying to learn, I had done the reading that I could find. I'd watched the videos on how to do it, but it was having the old farmer. I had two friends of mine that are farmers, and one they both grew up on farms and all that That's stuff. That's a dying trade. That's a dying practice, like farming. Again, but, another episode suggestion, but but they by the time they were twelve, they could park, they could back trailers up, and there was one time I was trying to get in someplace, and Buddy was like, "Oh, you got plenty of room." I'm like, 
I have like two centimeters on each side. He goes, that's way more than you need. And I need a mile and a half on each side. But but having them give me that instant feedback right at the time when I needed it, that was the reinforcement part. Well, I can I just stuff. throw I'll, I'll just I'll just throw in something that's coming out of my like post post secondary <laughs> post post secondary career. Uh, this notion of just in time training. Yes. Um, and I think that there's a very strong linkage there. This is where EdTech, God bless its maladjusted soul, um, can actually like you want like tangible examples. It's the kind of thing you're talking about. I mean, you're like looking at the YouTube videos. I mean, maybe it was pre YouTube that you, you were involved in this. You know, you're sort of but it's like if you can just sort of get that one sort of skill or, um, you know, knowledge with a tangible, you know, you're smart, S-M-A-R-T, what is it, a specific, measurable, um, whatever the acronym is, you know, yep. your, your objective, um, and just focus an entire pedagogical thing around that, then, I mean, technology is an effective way of capturing and distributing that, right? So um, that's something where I've been spending, like, I'm not spending a lot of time on just-in-time training now, but like in the six month prospectus for this role, I can definitely see it kind of looming up um, because that's just something that's incredibly what you're describing, uh, incredibly valuable, right? Those individual moments. And that's for me, that's the reinforcement part. It's I had the technology. It's it was but it, I would have got there eventually. But yes. everybody else at the wharf would have been just annoyed because <laughs> it would have taken me 45 minutes to do what should have taken 30 seconds. From somebody who had, you know, the, the ability to drive before they were like an adolescent. Let's, let's, let's be clear on that. Subject matter experts at a very high level, I got to say, in that particular regard. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Radical. So, so can we link this in any way to Soto, this very yes. recent? So Soto is an, when I started reading and then I found Soto, it was like, oh my goodness, this ties so much into some of my past experience. And Soto 2023 benefits of using interactive videos in the classroom. And one quote was, I've never had to repeat directions to students, said no teacher, staff member, or central office personnel ever. <laughs> right? Never. Never and once. Never, never in the history once. of education. Yeah. yeah. Everybody gets it the first time, every time. No problem at all. And it's just, you, with the video, like, I, I added another article to the, the Google Doc. That I okay, cool. I'll make sure I get that updated. Yep. Yeah. And it was the first time I ever had experience with that opportunity. When I was doing some research with iPod, iPods in classrooms back in like 2006. Okay. This is one of the first time podcasting ever got mentioned in an academic article. I just posted it in there. But one thing uh, Jeff Verdi, one of my colleagues did, is he recorded all his instructions and then those files went to the iPods. So the kids could listen over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Like some kids 
picked it up on the first time and they were good. Those are the kids that you need to get out of their way. They're going to learn yes. anyway, right? Just get out of their way. And then there's the other kids that listen two or three times. And then there's the kids that listen 10, 15 times until they finally get it. Because everybody's got their own speed and their own background and their own knowledge creation processes. That is fantastic, dude. That is so thoughtful and nuanced, that whole thing that you just described. Yacht club clap. Yacht club (laughs) clap. That's what that is. Very fancy yacht club clap. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it was uh, Jeff Vardy, Lisa Curvin, and I worked on that project in Australia, and they were so lovely to work with. They were just amazing. Well, and the way that you're describing, like, students sort of slotting themselves towards, you know, as the, 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 the technology as per their ability, interest, and inclination, shall we say. Um, okay, so I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, in my sort of ridiculous punk music fandom. Um, I am a huge, huge fan. I should, I should have been wearing a replacements t-shirt today. Um, but this episode, you know, cause I get to choose the musical selection. As soon as I saw the title, I saw the word replacement in there and I'm like, we're doing a thing on the replacements. Um, and um, what you're describing Really, the replacements got this awesome, you know, eight song, 20 minute EP from the early 80s called uh, The Replacements Stink. And the first song on that is called Kids Don't Follow. Uh, And I'm what you, you know, this is where like my education brain and my punk music kind of brain kind of go, oh, oh, some similarities there, which is helpful to no one besides me. And it's not even helpful to me whatsoever. But Kids don't follow what you're saying. Kids, whatever. It's a lot of shouting in the song, but he keeps going, kids don't follow. So kids don't follow. They're going to find their own way towards the iPod, except they're probably not using iPods anymore. They're using their phones. No. Still. Still. No, they're, they're definitely on their phones. The thing I really loved about it was because students could go at their own pace and it was private, they didn't have to stick their hand up and say, I don't understand. Could you repeat it? Because right. How often is that going to happen? Instead, they had reduce to... that age old problem. Yeah. So they got to listen as much as they wanted, needed, and nobody else knew. So I can't any... believe I can't believe you haven't done a podcast between in between like this I, since you know before our show. I'm I'm really surprised based on what you just described. The I didn't have the right partner. I had a fantastic research writing partner yep. for years, Nathaniel Ostashevsky. He's amazing. He is such an amazing person. You mentioned him but, before, yeah. Yeah, but he was in the academic stream, and his job was to publish articles. His job was to do the research, to get the data, to do the publishing. So we did that. Training future educational researchers, would you say? Oh, no, he was a... He was a career educator. He was in high schools for many, 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 like 19 or 20 years. That is rad. And then he got in. Okay. Okay. Just curious. Just curious. Yeah. I can't BS him about anything (laughs) because he's been through it all too. But uh, his sort of, uh, I guess, area of praxis, since we're going to drop, you know, 10 cent words. and your area of praxis 
did not uh, overlap in glorious Venn diagram fashion to have a podcast within the overlap. Yeah. So it was more of a time thing. Always the case in an educational enterprise. Always yeah. a time thing. Yeah. So that's that's why whatever two years ago now or whenever you dropped that comment on Facebook mentioning maybe a podcast and I'm <laughs> damn right let's get in there. <laughs> I've just this whole this whole enterprise for me has just been like I I, I don't even. You know, I, I used to spend just a lot of time like on creative, creative kind of writing, you know, like mm-hmm. formats where it's like short stories and poems and whatnot. And I really I, I, I still love that stuff and I still appreciate the opportunity to create that. But eventually. The principle, right, what's the 80 uh, percent that's going to come from the 20 percent of that I produce? Right. What's the 20 percent that I produce that 80 percent of people are actually going to care about or be interested in? Well, as it turns out, it's educational commentary. And that's cool. I get my kicks writing this stuff. I get my kicks talking about this stuff because I care about it so deeply after 18 years and various conundrums. I'm not like Odysseus or anything, you know, exile for 10 years. But I mean, this career has uh left some marks, uh, right? <laughs> Physically, mentally, and emotionally. Um, so it sounds like you were at that point when your colleague was at that point. Um, and uh, I'm just really sort of glad that uh, whatever uh, processes were established there, whatever trajectories led to this friggin' uh, enterprise, which is still unfurling as we speak in flag-like fashion. Um, so you got one. So so what's did you got that extra reference then, which I am not looking at. The last yeah. one I actually have within my uh, thing here, and because I'm looking at the WordPress that I set up a couple of days ago. Um, the last one that I've got here that you Is put the in. Soto article. Exactly so. Yes. So yeah, the Soto article. I just loved it because anybody that's an educator knows they have to repeat a direction anybody yes. that's a parent i'm assuming has to repeat a direction good lord that's the first i was going to say that's the first 5 years but i mean you ask my dad my dad's been repeating stuff to me like in the past week that he had conversations with me since i was you know 15 or 16 He's like repeating certain lines to me almost verbatim. Bob, <laughs> much respect, much love. That that comes from a loving place. Um, but uh, yeah, no, man, I, I hear it. I very much hear it. Um, now, so, I we got to jump back for a sec. Please do. You referenced Odysseus and being away for 10 years. And Odysseus was away for 20 years. Jesus, I, I, I was going to say, you're going to correct me on the time. I did not expect you to have that. You're, 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 you're a history fan. I'm just like, oh, yeah, everybody knows Odysseus, right? You probably read that thing. Have you read that thing? It's tough. <laughs> I like it as a metaphor. I'm like, I know there's a Cyclops. I know there's like some friggin', uh, you know, Evil mermaids. I know, like yeah, it's the sirens. I yeah, goes through yeah. a shitstorm after shitstorm. If I can sort of summarize, yeah. 
the cold stone version of the Odysseus. Shitstorm upon shitstorm for 20 years, kills the Cyclops, and he comes back. And is his wife and family still there for him? Or how does, you know? Only only his dog remembers him. The dog (laughs) is still alive. The dog remembers. Nobody else recognizes him. So anyway, yeah, the fact that I have Homer, the Odyssey, like sitting within arm's reach of my computer might give people some ideas of how much of a nerd I am. I'm just like, where's my, you know, meditations? Where's my Epictetus, right? It's like, I, I, you got that within arm's reach of your computer. I am legitimately impressed. That's... I've also got the Iliad. Good Lord. Man. Also, yeah, I've got the Aeneid. Thucydides. I love Thucydides. Good Lord. The Aeneid is here. Herodotus, the histories, Tacticus, the Anical. Anic- okay, Her- Herodotus. I've heard of that dude. I have yeah. heard of that dude. So I got all that stuff. Did you? But like, I also have, have like, Journey classical- to the Center of the Earth. <laughs> did you? When you were doing your history, you know, studies back in the day, uh, were the classics sort of like the Greek classics, sort of something where you spent a lot of time, or this is just sort of, you know, sort of a byproduct of your life that you're interested in now? I was almost a classics minor. Damn. Okay. Almost. Okay. But but they wanted, from what I remember. I was going to do it because I took a couple of the courses and just loved it. Like I ate it up with a spoon. Yep. But to to actually get the minor, the, the other courses I was going to have to take, I would need to know Latin. Or I was going to have to do a lot of work to learn a bunch of Latin or a lot of work to learn a bunch of ancient Greek. And I was 19. <laughs> well, that's the thing, man. That's the thing. You like, you got to know the language. And I'm telling you, um, I think we're pretty much on the very downward slope here. Um, so I'll just, I will just throw out one more thing and I'll just try not to uh, go on to about it, about it too long. But I mean, like when I'm reading um, meditations, right? Like I just, I'm, I'm, I'm picking it up for the first time in 2024 and it's just, you can tell the difference between an awesome translation and a just sort of, you know, whatever, cobbled together and i've read you know a couple few different versions from a few different versions of meditations marcus aurelius and uh you know the one uh that my former girlfriend uh, paula if you're listening <laughs> got for me over the christmas holiday um this just like it's it's paperback but it's just like you can tell that this person uh can't remember their name uh, who did the translation is absolutely fluent, 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 right? Completely fluent, which is in keeping with the fact that Marcus, when he was writing, he was writing in Greek, even though, you know, he's like among the quadi, you know, like on the very frontier of the Roman Empire, nobody's speaking Greek, but it was the academic uh, language of the day and how he, you know, in his turn, felt the most comfortable expressing these thoughts. So um, just having like a super duper translation, it's just, it's, it makes all the difference. I mean, really? So, yeah. Now I have one, one last thing 
when when I was doing this iPod and podcasting research back in 06 or 07, yeah. back then, somebody came in who was a, like a music technology historian. Wow. So I don't know if it was Lisa Kerbin or Jeff Fardy, one of them knew a person and they brought in, you know, those old phonographs, the one with like, like the dog in front of like the big cone thing. And um, I would aspire to own such if I ever get into a windfall and I can like start collecting like records and record players again, to the extent that I did once um, I, if I saw that on Amazon, I'd be like, hell yeah, that's, we we found one. We bought one. Not we bought the second generation one where it's a okay. big cabinet and it lifts up and plays forty fives and you wind the crank and it it plays. You don't need electricity. Gorgeous. And they had another one. Uh, an antique shop went out of business and it was the old style one with the big cone and it it played forty fives and I think there was also some kind of attachment to play the wax cylinders. But that was like three thousand dollars. <laughs> the wax cylinders. Yes. Yeah, that's but, fantastic. But, so this guy brought in this wax cylinder phonograph to the students, right, and showed them how to do it as just part of this research. And he had a photocopy of a document that Thomas Edison had done in like the eighteen whatevers, eighteen eighties or something, eighteen nineties, and it listed educational and productivity activities to do with recorded sound. It was like a part of a, like a pamphlet for a sales pitch. And with my digital clutter, I am so disappointed that I never got a copy of that because I would reference that over and over and over. Cause I, as I read it, it was like, Oh man, well, I just came up with that idea. Oh man, I just came up with that idea. Oh no. I, like these things are all over a hundred years old. And and they're just being reinvented because that pamphlet, I've looked online and I cannot find it. So if anybody it's, can find that pamphlet. It's, I, it, it, it sounds like a similar line of marketing that like vendors use when they're trying to sort of hoard in and, uh, you know, get you get you to buy their latest uh, LMS widget or whatnot. LMS widget. You heard it here first on the Ed Non-Tech podcast. So, dude, I mean, I would love to keep – this is a, clearly a very rich, fruitful topic. Um, but are we at the point yet where we got the word, phrase, and question of the podcast, dude? Yes. Yes, we do. There's one picture. I put a bunch of pictures in there. There's one yep. picture. I If, if listeners are going to go to our website, there's a picture called The Isolator by Hugo Burns back. I love that picture. It wasn't the first time I saw it, but when I saw it in your document, I'm like, it's on. I love that yeah. picture. So much. basically it's this giant headpiece thing with like oxygen pumped in and two little eye slits. And it's supposed to isolate all the noise and all the everything. So the students are att- attention is exactly where you want it to be. And replacing the students learning how to focus with just that technology is was a disaster because if there wasn't a disaster we'd have been doing it for a hundred years i want an isolator if there's like anybody out there with like any uh, technical or imaginative like if you got engineering skills and you can buy me an isolator i would be 
the happiest ed non-tech technician on my part of St. John. That's a gorgeous picture. And there's some other good ones there, too. So be sure to check out the notes, folks. Be sure to check out the notes, folks. So the the word of the podcast is reinforcement. Yep. Because we've mentioned that so many times. The question of the podcast is how do we ensure that learning is reinforced by technology use? Fantastic. The technology can't be the only thing. There's got to be teaching and learning and stuff going on there. And the phrase of the podcast is, I don't care how you were taught. I think that was a foregone conclusion as soon as you put that out. I swear, man, like, I don't know if you remember, like, back when I was in my ridiculous phase about a year ago of just, I I, I told, like, a financial person, like, I got a windfall from the sale of my share of the house at exactly the wrong time. Because that was like coinciding with like my marriage cratering and my time at a former institution cratering as well. And I'm just like, I'm going to release endorphins with this money. Um, and uh, I went to appear, I went, I, I put it on, you know, like with punk podcast t-shirts, right? I actually went to a printing place and like had today New Brunswick, tomorrow the world front and back. I'm I'm really thinking that if we ever do like a full-on t-shirt enterprise, you know, I don't care how you taught is among one of the uh, limited edition, highly exclusive designs from the Ed Nontech online shop, which doesn't exist yet, but could if anybody (laughs) gave us any interest at all that they were interested in throwing money at us. So, wow, that's my final thought on this particular topic. Please give us money so we can make t-shirts that say, I don't care how you were taught. Doug, you got anything else you want to say, bud, before we wind this one down? Uh, no, no, I don't. I'm, I'm happy and I'm hoping people are still enjoying them and they come back next time. Next time, spoiler alert, on our part of this thing is going to be pretty soon. I'm going to change a t-shirt, but, you know, so it's... And by the way, by the way, I got to give you credit, uh, Doug, for wearing a Minnesota sweater. Minneapolis, Minnesota is where Husker du and the replacements are both from. Spoiler alert, the next episode has to do with Husker du, whereas this one was to do with the replacements. I got a Husker du tattoo. So preview alert. From Minneapolis, Minnesota. St. Paul, if you want to be specific with history, replacements. Yeah, and I got this because I flew down to the Caribbean and we got bumped off our flight in Houston and we ended up in Minneapolis, St. Paul for a day, but it was freezing cold there and it was nice and hot in the Caribbean and all our winter clothes were in our car at the airport. And so we were freezing and it's like, oh, we need something. So we both walked into the first shop in that giant airport and picked up sweatshirts. Radical. Well, folks, if you're not sufficiently compelled to check out the next episode, that's on you. (laughs) Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) 